This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself, self-guided, public land, elk hunting learning curve resource where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. Welcome to the Oak Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man. Hope you guys are doing well. Thanks for tuning in today. We are bringing on a repeat guest. We are bringing on Mark Livesey, Treeline Pursuits, Treeline Academy. We're going to talk about all things e-scouting once again. We brought him on once before. I met Mark maybe a year ago, and I sat in on one of his lectures. I was uh, helping Ryan Lampers at his Elk Summit. I was doing subject matter expert stuff on fitness and discipline, and I sat in on his lecture on e-scouting, and he pretty much blew me away. He had taken it to a level I'd never imagined. And so I learned quite a bit about how to elevate my game on Google Earth. You can go back and find that podcast. I'll leave a link in the show notes. But today, we're talking about how to create hunt plans. We're talking about his new digital academy where you can learn how to better create e-scouting options for yourself and develop strategic hunt plans so you can maximize your time. It's pretty much a way to not just wing it and go to somewhere that looks good, but to actually know what you're doing, when you're doing, where you're camping, what hunts you're going to do each day, where you're going to look for elk, all that kind of stuff and backup plans and access verification. It's super deep. And I really appreciate it. And he actually set up a discount code for us listeners of the Elk Shape Podcast so we can get uh, an already discounted price and make that even lower. So he basically has a launch price, and that price is good through the end of May, and then he's going to go to regular retail. And then we're going to have a discount code option on top of that. So you'll want to jump on that if this is interesting to you. I'll, uh, I'll tell you about that discount after the show. So let's talk a little bit of elk shape business. I do have a new program out that I'm really excited about. I kind of made it because of COVID-19. It's 20 for 20. That's 
garage gym style 20 workouts that take 20 minutes or less for 20 bucks. It's minimal equipment like a dumbbell or a sandbag or even your backpack. It's fully video supported. That's your gateway drug to maybe graduate to 21 days to elk shape or 90 days to freedom. So check that out on the store. We also have access to our online elk shape camp. There's too much content on there for you to digest in a couple months. So we give you a year access. You guys can find that including our new AAE Max Stealth elk shape branded veins. We got pink, yellow, and white. Those are in stock, so you guys can check that out. This podcast is brought to you by Vortex Optics. These guys are out of Wisconsin. These guys are veteran-owned, and these guys make quality glass for the dollar. And you get a VIP warranty that is transferable, so if anything ever to go wrong, you just send it in, they repair it, ship it back, no questions asked, no cost to you. Kennetrek Boots has this little special going on right now. If you hustle, you can get uh, free gaiters with a boot purchase. Uh, the details are on their website. I rock the mountain guides, have since 2010. So something to check out. I'm taking my e-bike out this weekend. I'm going bear hunting behind a locked gate that does not allow vehicles to go, but you can take a four-wheeler dirt bike. I'm going to use my e-bike. It's going to be stealthy, and it's a high country road that the snow's melted off. I can't wait to take that out. I'll bring my trailer. Maybe I'll have a bear on my trailer coming out. E-bikes are awesome, especially if you can find one that's made by hunters for hunters. Use them out west. That's Baku. So use the discount code ELKSHAPE400 and save $400. Thank you, Exo Mountain Gear, Matthews Archery, Grim Reaper, Phelps Game Calls, Sika Gear, and Wilderness Athlete. We have a few more discount codes. We'll save those in the show notes. Check those out. Keep working hard in the name of better elk hunting. Break a sweat every day. Don't let dust collect on your weapon and fill your family's love tanks, man. Put those love deposits in now. Be present. Be intentional, stay hungry, stay humble, keep working hard in the name of better elk hunting, in the name of delayed gratification. Be intentional with your family, engage with them, put the phone down, keep working hard. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Now let's get into it with Mark Livesey of Treeline Pursuits. Yeah, you will. Well, let's get into it. So um, the game plan is to literally talk about where people are at right now in the year and combine our powers to talk them through basically getting prepared as much as they can for their elk hunt. I know you get a lot of messages. I certainly do. And people are drawing Montana generals and asking really vague questions uh, to me. They're drawing their, you know, they didn't draw anything. So they're going over the counter Colorado or Oregon or Idaho. And, and so let's talk today, Mark, about e-scouting. I think it's there's no better time of year than right now where the mountains are still pretty deep, full of snow. You're not going to be putting boots on the ground. Uh, but I I am an anti-wing it kind of guy when it comes to elk Oh, hunting. man. So am I. Dude, if you get – I talk – it's funny you say that because I actually used the word wing it several times in the course. <laughs> yeah, that's what guys do. they just like, well, I'll figure it out while I'm down there. I kind of have – I kind of have an idea. Well, I always, I say, you know, we'll say this, we should say this in the, when we get into it, but one of my favorite quotes is that I use a lot is if you want to be a 10% success elk hunter, you can act like a 10% success elk hunter. And, um, it's so true. If you want to, if you want to stay in the mold and stay in the statistics, then that's how you do it is you come out here and you kind of throw something together and, and, uh, that's what you get. 
Well, the thing that we say on our podcast, <coughs> excuse me, is separation is in the preparation. Now, that's a vague statement, but it's also a bold statement. Think about elk hunting is super physical. There's no way around it. It has physicality, which then it means it has a mentality. And part of that mentality that gets overlooked is the year-round approach. And I call it a gift, really. You have this gift of a thing that requires hard work. And you can't just pick your bow up, throw a map in your truck, and head to some trailhead. Like, I guess you could, but if you actually want to kill out consistently, you're going to have to do the things that other people overlook or are not interested in doing or put off. So e-scouting is going to be huge. How many uh, how many elk tags do you have so far this year? I have five. Say what? <laughs> it's crazy. I I drew two tags that I wasn't expecting to draw. And uh, so I was already going to have a pretty fun year with three. Um, and then I ended up drawing, well, that's assuming I draw Wyoming, which is not out yet. But I have enough points. So I should draw it. If I draw Wyoming, I'll have five elk tags. What else did you draw? What other states? I drew New Mexico, a primo, primo New Mexico tag, which it's taken me 22 years. The last time I hunted this unit, Dan, was 21, 22 years ago. And I've been drawing ever since, no tags. So this year was weird. I My archery season was packed. And my rifle season was kind of getting kind of busy with some other states. And I wanted to do something kind of special in Wyoming. So when it came time for New Mexico, I decided I'm just going to throw in for these super freaking hard to draw primitive only muzzleloading tags. And, you know, if I draw one, great. If I don't, it's probably not going to happen. I'll be dang. Not only did I draw, but I drew my first choice. Mm. And uh, so <laughs> my wife said, no more applications like the idaho application is still coming up and i'm like oh i can't i just can't do it i, I so <laughs> i can't i can't apply for my wife's put the kibosh she's pretty understanding but she said five is enough okay so potentially wyoming new mexico obviously your home state of montana uh what other states i have an idaho so that's the other problem i bought an idaho one of the over-the-counter tags because of the bear season crap that went on. Oh, yeah. I got freaked out, and I'm like, I'm buying, this is before I knew about New Mexico, and I said, I'm going to buy. go ahead and buy my Idaho tag, because I had a great hunt there last year. I had a really amazing spot I found, and uh, um, so anyway, I kind of wanted to go back, but I was kind of waiting, you know, like I kept watching the non-resident tag numbers, and it looked like it was okay. Well, then they then I missed the freaking bear season, in Idaho because I didn't buy my tag in time and then they closed it as you know and so I was really ticked off about that so I decided I better buy my Idaho tag so I bought my Idaho tag um and then um I'd already planned on this hunt in Utah with my buddy so I have a Utah tag I have an Idaho tag a Montana tag a Wyoming tag and now a New Mexico tag wow when do Utah drop results come out it's a, I'm buying the over-the-counter tag there. I'm buying the – it's the basically the high UNS tag. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be in there with my llamas, with my buddy that has llamas down there. Now, that's one, that's one hunt that I could – if I can't make it work, 
um, I can shelve that one. Yeah. If I just get too stressed out with the four tags I got. Um, but the way it works is, you know, I'm going to be October 5th ish, uh, first through the, you know, 10th or so first through the eighth in Utah. And then I go straight from there to New Mexico. And so archery season is a mixture of Wyoming, Montana, Idaho. So I don't know, it might all work out pretty good. Yeah. That's a good spread. If you can get your calendar with some early October action, man, you're dialed. That's why I like to draw a Montana general, just so I can put that on the shelf and come back to Montana early October. Although I've told a lot of people that, so I might be making the woods <laughs> more crowded, but uh, whatever. Uh, Did you draw this year? Yeah, I got a general Montana. All right. Well, I, you know, you're the first friend of mine that's drew. Really? I have, yeah, four of my friends did not draw. Non-residents. Yeah, did not draw this year. That's that's interesting. Yeah, I, I, all my buddies have drawn their Montana tag. So it was like, it's good. I like the generous seasons, and I like that it's close to Washington and. I will probably, I mean, I can always go, go hunt Idaho, Montana, border country. That's really close. But to be honest with you, in Montana, I like to get away from that country. I like to be able to use my binoculars and get away from timber. Yeah, then you're used to that timber over where you're at, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So it's probably nice. And see, that was the opposite for me. I'm kind of a timber guy. And, um, so I went and hunted kind of the border, you know, that beaverhead area last year, archery. And, um, it was a lot more open than I'm used to. I kind of enjoyed it. I had a good time with that, a little more different strategy than I'm used to. And, um, so I'm kind of digging some of the open as well. I'm not traditionally for archery, at least hunted that I'm not much of a rifle hunter. I'm just going to be honest with you. Since I moved to Montana, I'm doing more and more of it now that I have more time and I'm living here and living out West. But when I was coming to the West for the first, you know, 28 years from Missouri, Missouri, I just was archery, archery, every place I could get an archery tag, you know? Yeah. And so, and, uh, yeah. So with Montana's, gosh, I mean, your guys' rifle opens around October, third week in October ish. Yeah. And it runs deep. And then you have that shoulder season. Are you guys still doing a shoulder season? Oh yeah. Unfortunately. Come on, man. Dude, it's a mess. It's a mess. Don't even get me started on that. I won't. I won't. But really, I'll get people really mad then. Oh, yeah. So my North Idaho elk hunting, I don't even know if I'm going to hunt there this year, which would be the first time in like 20 years I haven't hunted North Idaho. But last year, I just almost felt bad if I killed an elk, which is not something I would ever picture myself saying. But just there wasn't as many elk and there were so many hunters and uh, the elk just weren't doing what elk are supposed to do. And we're kind of plagued with roads everywhere up there, too. And even if they're gated, nobody follows that rule and it's not enforced. And I'm not – I whatever, that's fine. Um, I'm not in control of anyone but me. But uh, it's not what I'm looking for. So I try to get a Southwest tag every year. Haven't drawn New Mexico since 2007. And I've gone from – Gila's to uh, just booger bottom units that I'm hoping to draw just to get to a any unit in New Mexico haven't drawn so and I don't want to buy a landowner tag man like I just don't want to have that conversation with my wife that I'm dropping five thousand dollars on an elk tag and that's a cheap landowner tag that's right that's right well I this year I drew unit 15 and it's kind of I'm excited because 
I killed my biggest elk there years ago, like I said, and I killed that dang thing opening day and uh, like 10 minutes into the hunt. <laughs> and I should have, I mean, how do you pass up a six by seven, you know? You don't. And, and it, I mean, it wasn't a giant elk. It was just, you know, probably shy, just shy of 300. But um, it was my first time ever in New Mexico. And I we I didn't know what to expect. And dude, I just watched Giants the whole rest of the trip. And uh, <laughs> so this year, I'm prepared to come home with that. That's one tag that I will not fill. Um, I took 20 years to get this tag. I'm going down there. I'm not a trophy hunter. That's by it all. But that's one special tag to me. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go down there and try to do something something kind of special with that tag. And that's good to know you're like, we talk about that at Elk Shape Camp is like, what's one of the very first things I talk to folks about is defining your expectations and going into a hunt, knowing what it is you're really after and where are you at on the learning curve, where are you at on just your, your elk hunting prowess. So someone like you, who's been doing it for 32 years and has multiple, multiple reps elk hunting long stints you know you're at a point in your life where you can put that tag and be like this is my clear expectations this is kind of what i'm looking for i know it's super special uh whereas some guys have never killed an elk before mark and their expectations need to be okay i want to get this many encounters i want to come to full draw or i want to see as many elk as possible up close you know have as many call-ins whatever it is maybe shoot a cow for your first elk ever and get reps at packing an actual elk off the mountain. But how do you convey that to people to understand expectations? And that also goes with who they hunt with. You know, it's funny, you know, if it's funny, I've got a couple of people that I had test my course before and had looked at it. And I spent, I don't know if you've even looked at it yet, but the first three or four modules, Dan, is the real the um, facing realities of elk hunting and limitations of elk hunting. Two modules, two like 40-minute modules dedicated to that. And everybody's like, well, I don't know if that's really e-scouting or what I said. It's all about it. To me, if you don't know those things, you can't even get started e-scouting. 100%. You, you need to know how far you're willing to hike or can hike. You need to know what that means as far as terrain. Five miles is not five miles in every place. And um, understanding that and your limitations of your group and, you know, are you good at off trail? Can you navigate? I mean, are you scared of the dark? Are you scared of grizzlies? I mean, I know these things are so stupid, but these are things you really got to understand before you start putting points on the uh, on Google Earth. And, um, once you get a kind of, if you can get a good handle on that and, you know, I talk about setting hunt parameters too, in these early modules, setting a realistic hunt parameter, which is your maximum distance, so to speak, that you're willing to go. And, you know, how many times are you on Google earth, Dan? And, you know, you, you know, you can kind of go wherever you want to go, but that's not the case with everybody. And so you draw, you, you're looking at trailhead X and you've got your market points all over. Oh, look at this drainage. Look, without any regard, at least initially, how far is that really from the truck? And then when you start kind of looking at it, you're like, oh, man, that's seven or eight miles. That's, I don't know about that. So my point is you've done a lot of work. 
and a lot of e-scouting work that may not be within your hunt, your within your wheelhouse. So I think setting a hunt parameter, and I tell people how to do that, setting up in Google Earth first, export it out. What I mean by hunt parameter, just a, basically it's a, a circle radius of, let's say, five miles. So you create a five-mile radius circle, export it out of Google Earth, import it into OnX, and boom, you've got your hunt parameter right there. That doesn't mean you can't mark points past it, but you but it's always sitting there. You can you can turn the opacity down, make it worse, very faint. But it really puts reality in your e-scouting. It makes you think about where you're looking from where you're going to park your vehicle. And I think a lot of people, I've gotten a lot of comments on that. It's like, you know, that's so basic, but that's so right. And um, it just, it helps ground you when you get started, especially for people that are kind of beginner at it, particularly. I think that's so important. I think that's, you have to start there if you want to do it right. So that's good to hear. I can't wait to do your course. I'm going to definitely do it. I have so much e-scouting opportunity to learn. You know what I mean? I just have so much more to learn. I don't know about that, but I'll tell you what I do like is you and Cody, Rich, with the Rich Outdoors, you two are probably my two people I love talking to the most because you're more dialed into it than anybody, any other podcast or any other group that I'm with as far as e-scouting. I mean, a lot of guys do it, but they don't do it at the level that you do it and they don't do it at the level that Cody does it. Um, now that doesn't mean look at Lampers. I mean, he does a lot of e-scouting, but that dude just he's got he's got other ways to kill giants. And uh it's not he just kind of instinctly knows um what to do. But that doesn't come naturally. <laughs> and um so he's kind of a different kind of cat when it comes to um e-scouting and I think he knows more about e-scouting than he puts on, but you know, it's you and Cody are probably the, I love talking to you guys because you're the most dialed on, on it. Well, let's get into a little bit. of Now, we've had you on the podcast before. I don't want to be redundant, so I'm going to ask new questions. Let's look at your New Mexico hunt because it is pretty special. You're probably not going to have that tag again. I hope you do, but let's be honest. Yeah, you're right. So, Well, I'm 54 years old, Dan, so the odds of me getting it well, let me put it this way. There's a better chance of my son now, he's 12, drawing the youth version of it and me going, than there will be me going with my own tag. Yeah, certainly. And you have an advantage. You've been there before. How many days in the field did you, I know you killed day one, but how many days in the field did you get? Oh, you know how it goes. I mean, we were down there most of the season. There's four of us down there and we end up killing three out of four elk. So uh, it took, we worked kind of hard to try to get the last one so we were there most of the season but you know how new mexico is that you don't have the long season that you have in in montana no you know the archery is broken into two sections like this 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 tag i drew this muzzle loading tag is a um like a five-day tag so yep. you you've got to, you've got to hit the ground running what are you going to do from a digital standpoint you you've been some places but i'm certainly i know you have wonderlust you want to find some hidden gyms that you didn't see when you were there. Uh, you know that you got to get there early. You can't just show up on opening day. Like you probably need to figure out what the elk, where the elk are at, or confirm some stuff. Listen for some bugles. They're going to be screaming that that hunts. They're still going to be rutting good. Um, what's your game plan for arriving, and then how are you going to work your way backwards and create your hunt plan? Okay, so my strategy right now is that. Um, 
is that I'm going to, I've already started my e-scouting, but I will tell you, so the last time I hunted this was over 20 years ago. And so the only thing that existed then was, I'm not even sure. I don't even think Google Earth existed then. I, well, if it did, I don't think I was using it that far, that long ago. We were topographic map, national forest maps. And the reason I say that was I pulled my national forest map out, which I still have from New Mexico, hard to believe. And it's just marked up, notes on the side. And I had forgotten so many things. I, it was such a kind of a, I don't know, it was like a homecoming when I pulled that map out dusted that thing off and I was like wow look at this and it just opened my eyes to how little of the unit that I actually explored and I think mainly it was because we just didn't have the tools we have today so my e-scouting is really going to be a lot different than it was then and um, you know back then I'll be honest with you a lot of advice we got was go hunt the tanks go hunt the water wait for the elk to come and that's kind of what we did um, and we it works now, we ended up killing elk during at noon, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, when other, we found out that the elk were coming during the middle of the day instead of during the traditional hunting hours. So once we kind of figured that out, we started upping our success. But again, we really didn't hunt it like I'm going to hunt it now. And um, so I've already started breaking it down. You know, I'm going to add a module um, to my course actually i'm considering like you said dan i don't want to ruffle any feathers but the reality is this is a membership site um i haven't decided for sure but i think i'm going to put all my e-scouting up for this hunt uh it's one of those tags that you're not going to get very often in your life if ever and i don't think that many people and you got to be a member to get access to it and i think a real life example is going to be really really um a nice asset. So I'm still considering that, but either way, um, the Southwest area, as you know, you've hunted it. So it's great talking to you. You can't scout these types of areas. Like you can scout Montana and Idaho. Uh, the basic needs of elk are always the same, but their priority changes. And down there, water is a priority. Um, but they have learned how to adapt to that and they do know that hunters are setting on those water holes. So if you're going to rely on that, it's not that you can't work that way, but you're going to have to factor all that in and just the, the meadows and the grazing and how they interact with agriculture, the sheer distances that the elk will travel during the night to get to feeding is incredible down there um, versus here or Idaho, other places where they can get to security cover relatively close to, to feeding areas. And I know that doesn't apply everywhere, but I, I found a couple of things down there. The elk will travel great distances to both water and food, and um, they will key on agricultural down there if it's available. And um, so it's just a different approach. You have to look at your food sources different. You have to look at your travel distances different, and you have to really make sure you're keeping your water and the proximity to water in, in your, um, in your equation. So anyway, once I get done with all my e-scouting and I get my, you know, I will do what I, I'm approaching this, just like I teach in my course, I'll have five hunt areas planned out. Now I won't be able to hit five hunt areas in five days, but I want five ready to go. So if I get there and something's wrong with one or an access, you know, there's a lot of roads in New Mexico, at least in this unit, if I've miscalculated some access or I, or, and down there, it's really hard to tell 
what's open, what's not. And there's a lot of abuse, like you say here, and the roads are really terrible in New Mexico. There may be a road that I plan on using that I try to analyze with Google Earth, but when I get down there, it may be impassable. So, because they're very bad down there, especially if there's rain, it's terrible, even horrible. So that's why I want to go in with five solid plans and I want to, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to visit each one of those hunt areas. I may not get boots on the ground for all five when I get there, but I'm certainly going to check the access to all five and make sure they look like what I think they look like. And I'm going to be down there um, at least a week before the season. Um, so I'm going to be down there probably the end of archery season, um, the second archery season, so that I could see how the elk calm down, how they go back to their normal patterns um, kind of see that transition in, in, uh, in you know, up front and personal. Um, this unit doesn't have tremendous amounts of glassing opportunities, at least long range. So I'm going to have to move around a little bit to get, get my eyes on some elk. So, um, I mean, that's the basics. If you've got some more specific questions, I'll be glad to get into those. No, those are, well, we got to dive in on some of that. So we at Elk Shape Camp, we talk about how being mobile is directly equal to how much elk you're going to stack up in your freezer you can't be married to one spot ever and i actually don't like to hunt the same area more than a day generally speaking and i actually don't like to hunt the same units i like to get out and ch check out new country but it's hard for guys to do this but you just kind of made it you just showcased it, bro, is I say when you arrive to your hunt areas, your unit is to drive the roads. Now, if you can get there in the summer, great. Go inspect what you expected. Go see if the access is actually like you have to go verify access and just drive roads and understand the lay of the land. And that's going to also show you how other hunters are going to access these areas. So what would you say? And this is a hard question, Mark, but a lot of guys can't, they're coming to Colorado, they're coming to Montana, they can't just get an airplane ticket, rent a car, go drive the unit and come back all in a weekend. I recommend it, but they can't. So what's their, what's the best practices for those that just want to learn the unit? Well, again, I, I don't know that I'm not necessarily here to um, sell my course but guys, everything I'm talking about and everything that we're talking about is in this course. I mean, it's so funny here, Dan, you hear you say a couple things because I've, I've addressed it. I don't know that I've addressed it the way you probably would address it, um, but it's certainly addressed. So, you know, one of the first things I do just to give a breakdown is the realities and limitations. Like I said, I can't stress it enough. Understanding what you're capable of, understand the realities, understand all your limitations and we talked about that hunt parameter. Once you get all that set up, the next thing that I really want to focus on is identifying these core hunt areas, I call them. And that's really looking at a couple of things. Zones of pressure are really key for me. And it sounds like they are to you. I spend probably the most amount of time looking at motor vehicle use maps, looking at those motor vehicle use layers on, on Onyx and Gaia GPS and national forest maps, if they're new enough to have that road access or that road zoning identified, all those things and how I go about doing it, it's all covered in that. And I establish those zones of pressure every time, all the time. And once I kind of know that, then I look at the pressure. And what I mean by that is, Dan, you're, in your point, 
I know this is going to sound overkill, but I can't tell you how many times I have uncovered something doing this. I look at every trailhead in Google Earth. I don't use OnX. I don't use Gaia because the zoom resolution is not quite as good as it is in Google Earth. Now, with that said, I know that OnX just updated their aerial photo maps. So both of those platforms are getting better. But I have a module in my course that is that is specifically establishing the zones of pressure and um, evaluating access points and established um, trails and roads. And what that module does is go over how I look at every trailhead and analyze it. I look at how big the parking places are. I look at how worn down the grass is around that parking lot. I look and see if there's even parking spaces. It blows my mind. Some of these trailheads you pull up, there's 100 parking spots. And the photo happens to be from September 15th, and there's eight horse trailers sitting there. Mm. Well, that tells you right there without even driving to that trailhead that now that doesn't mean you won't want to go there. It just means you better be ready for what you're going to be facing. But then you'll find another trailhead that'll be or a dead end road or whatever. And you'll find that you can barely find a place where cars are turning around. That doesn't mean nobody's going to be there, but it certainly probably gives you an indication there's not going to be 50 cars there. Um, and here's another tip that's in my course. And I'll tell you that. This is a really good tip. And if you if you decide to use multiple applications, this is one of the reasons why. I did in the course, I used three or four examples where I looked at Trailhead X and we evaluated it in Google Earth. Google Earth had the by far the best resolution, okay? We looked at it and what I like about Google Earth is you can look at the dates that the photos were taken. And it's also got an historical timeline slider. So you can go back in dates. Now, the further back in dates you go, the poorer the resolution becomes. So there's a there's a point where you know, you're diminishing returns. But the point is, you know the date the photo was taken in Google Earth. So you look at that trailhead in Google Earth and you see cer certain things. You might see some cars parked, you might not. You'll see some parking spots. But then you jump over to Gaia GPS and look at that same trailhead. The examples I show, they're taken with different times of year. You see different types of cars. You see different types of, you can see the horse corrals better in one versus the other because of the sun when the photo was taken. And then you look in OnX, you see a completely different date and some different information. So the point is when you look at a trailhead or a parking spot or a dead end or whatever you want to look at, I feel that if you look at those in all three applications, you've got a really good idea what's going on. Just the little bit, the little tidbits in there are enough to whet the appetite for people to at least maybe check out your course or to rethink their approach to flying over with Google Earth, like the grass and how many parking spaces. Dude, that's huge. I, I, I can just picture a couple of places I've seen on Google Earth where like it's literally what you said. It's a damn parking lot. Yeah, it's or crazy. These campsites that are just so nice. There's running water. There's a lake. It's paved. It's just going to be it's going to be a hub. It's going to be where most guys are going to. Oh, that's a great place to camp. And it's not that you can't camp next to other people, but I definitely prefer not to. I don't. So I showed this example. I showed this example, Dan, of this one where there's this trailhead. It's really, it's not, I wouldn't say it's crazy busy. It's pretty busy. So it had an established trail running up the drainage. Okay. 
And I looked at the trail and I analyzed it in Google Earth and I could see the trail. It was very um, brown, which means there's no grass growing up in the trail. That's one of the things we talk about in the course. I look for trails that have grass growing in the trail. And you can see that with Google Earth. You can't see that with the hunt applications a lot of times. The zoom quality just isn't quite good enough. So I, I really spent a lot of time not only evaluating trailheads, not only evaluating the roads going to the trailheads, but I also spend a lot of time evaluating those pack trails, so to speak, or those trails leading into drainages and canyons. You can tell a lot about the use of an area if you look at the trails in Google Earth. But the problem, Dan, is most people will not do that before they get into the field. And once you get into the field, it's too late because when you download the maps, they are not near the zoom level quality to be able to do that. It's impossible to do it in the field, basically. So all this use and this access work and looking at roads and trails and access points and dead ends, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, must be done using your computer at the highest resolutions you can get before you head into the field. That's where that hunt plan comes in. You've made all your notes. You've made all you've jotted down certain things. Um, but in this example, I want to back up. So that trail that I was talking about that looked like moderate use and I could see the trail and I looked at it. It looked like it's getting some stock and foot traffic. I went down the road four miles from that trailhead and I found another canyon. It wasn't quite as big. And I searched the road, Dan, on Google Earth. I could not even find a pull-off spot. And there was no trail. And it required crossing a pretty good little river or a pretty serious creek with no trail and a steep little canyon to get across that creek. But once you crossed it and got into that canyon, there was no trail in that canyon that I could find at all. And it went up two or three, four miles Beautiful basin on top of that canyon, tons of benches, north slopes, had green um, bottom wide canyon. All the things I like to look for with the signs that the pressure was less. Does that make sense? And that was only five miles down the road from a pretty heavily looking, not, I wouldn't say heavily, again, moderately used trailhead. So if I had to pick between those two, I'm not saying I wouldn't go to the one with the pressure, but if I had to choose, I would take the other one, even though it was a little smaller, but with a little bit more difficult access, no obvious parking, and no established trail on the USGS topographic map. Those are gold icons for me. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, everything you described, those are the ingredients for the feeding zones, the meadows, and the concept of, like, what the elk actually want. That's it right there. Like. They need their water, they need their cover, but you have those like corridors that you're talking about, like these saddles and funnels and benches. And anytime you got to cross an, like some sort of feature, like a river or even a, a pretty big Creek sign me up. And the fact that there's no place to park, you hit it out of, man, that's awesome. So I got to go back to like creating your hunt plan. I want to get takeaways from this podcast. Obviously we're going to spark up interest in your course. And I think this is really exciting stuff for me if you're a nerd like me this is super exciting it's like okay take us through a hunt plan where you have like maybe anywhere from five to seven days and it's one general hunt area 
Uh, I've heard your lectures, so I have cheat notes in my head of like, I remember you talking about your access points, where to camp, option one, two, and three, and four. Um, I remember you talking about your the time and distance to get to camp or to get to glassing or where you want to bugle. And then each day had different objectives. So I kind of painted your template, but like take us through a little more detail on a hunt plan. Okay. So I guess to start with is I'm actually just pulling my course up right here as we're talking. So I could kind of, um, talk about it a little bit. So I, I took now, Again, I want to clarify, this is pretty basic, but it works pretty dang well. Um, I created a template, and it's available in both Word and PDF formats in the course that is basically the startings of developing your strategic hunt plan. And so what it, you know, it can give you some guidance on um, on that. And, uh, and then you can, you know, you can download that template, and it's in Word, so that you can edit it and, um, you know, do with as you see fit. Um, and, uh, you know, and so you're feel free to use that um, as part of it too. And it gives you, and you you know, people are going to add their own stuff to it and they're going to make their tweaks, but it kind of gets you started on what you need to be um, thinking about, you know, for hunt areas. So in my hunt plan, our hunt plan outline, this is the basic components. The first thing I want to do is I have a basic, a sheet, let's say, or two for each hunt area. I don't mix my hunt areas between each other, if that makes sense. So let's say I have um, five hunt areas in my hunt plan. So think of the hunt plan as the overall plan for your entire, let's call it 10 day hunt. Okay. This is your whole, this is your whole organized enchilada. And within that hunt plan, I like to see and I like to recommend three to five hunt areas. And I define hunt areas in the course. I Hunt areas, Dan, to me, are not a drainage, are not a canyon that you can hike over to from an existing hunt area. Now, knowing your fitness, that probably is not true. You could decide that you wanted to hunt a drainage that was eight miles over, and you just hike your butt over there and get it done. I would consider that a second hunt area, but I don't consider just switching drainages or switching a basin or switching a, you know, a ridge line in the same area as a new hunt area. I hope that makes sense. So a hunt area to me is something that you physically have to relocate to, meaning drive, move your base camp. It could be another part of the mountain range. It could be another drainage that's far removed. It could even be another unit if you're in a state like Montana that's got a general tag. Um, so that's how I kind of classify hunt areas. They do require significant changes. And the reason I, I do it that way is because if you have a problem with a hunt area, for example, access point, we talked about that. Let's say you find out there's a road right through the middle that was is open that you thought was closed. Well, that may, I'm not saying it eliminates it, but it may eliminate that entire hunt area. So if you've got other drainages and other things kind of as bad, they eliminate all of them at once. So you've got to be careful about that. I hope that makes sense. So you can kind of classify that however you want. But I also want to make sure that people always plan for hunt areas at least one hunt area of your five at a different elevation. I can't stress this enough. Ooh. I have been 
I have been screwed on this so many times. Um, I don't know if you remember, Dan, about two or three years ago in Montana, we got like 14, 16 inches of snow. Oh, yes, I do. And I had five hunt areas. This is where I screwed my own self up. I had five hunt areas, and my boys were here from Missouri. We're having this great hunt, and bam, we got buried. And the elk just shut up. I don't know why. We were so excited. We thought it was going to kick the elk into high gear, but it did not, at least where we were. So I'm like, pulled my hunt plan out. I'm looking at all my hunt area. They're all at the same elevation. I'm like, dang it. So literally we drove to Dillon uh, without giving too much away. We drove to Dillon, Montana to get internet service. And I had to work up another hunt area at a different elevation. And then we went in and freaking did awesome. But it took a half a day and it was a kind of a super speedy e-scouting. Um, it was not my best effort. But we had to get a different elevation going. And sure enough, we got in there. The snow was still there, but it wasn't as bad. And we were into elk. And um, I'm not saying the elk moved. That's not what I'm trying to apply. They just weren't cooperating with that snow. It shocked them, I think, almost as much as it shocked us. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, so I always recommend one of your hunt areas as kind of a, I wouldn't say radical, but definitely significant change in elevation. Okay. So think of your hunt plan and then you've got your five, three to five hunt areas. They're all unique, kind of as unique as you can make them. And one of them is as potentially at a different elevation. The second thing I do is I, in my hunt plan, I include all access points that I've identified so that I have options to access that area. Any viable access point, I have labeled and identified in my hunt plan so that when I'm driving to this area or I'm navigating by vehicle, I'm efficient. I know exactly what I'm doing. I've got the point already identified and marked. You can navigate right to it without making a bunch of wasted time driving all over the place. Um, so all those access points in that are covered. And then, like you said, I always do two, and I'm usually a little overkill in this area. For each hunt area, I have one, two, and even three camp options. Now, that's assuming that you're going to camp and not hunt with your hunt on your back. I know that you, I think you like to do a little bit of both. So guys that like to hunt with their camp on their back, I think are very, your odds are higher. There's just no doubt, but it's physically difficult and you've got to have your game on with your fitness and you got to be really prepared for navigation and you got to be really organized to be able to tear down and take up when your stuff's wet and move you've done it i'm sure so if you're if you're that type of hunter your odds are higher and uh, in my opinion because you're mobile like you said mobile kills elk that's why i like to have if you're going to camp in a camp which i do most of the time because i have llamas so I do the camp option, but I will move camps. I won't even hesitate. That's why I like to have them identified. I think also, I'll add, Dan, you're far better off picking a camp, again, using Google Earth with the super high resolution, and then you are trying to do it on the fly, hiking down the trail in the middle of the night, saying, well, this spot looks good. Oh. Um, I hate that. I like going to a place that I've already identified that I know has water. I know it has the flatter area for me to put my camp. It has stuff. It has what I need for my llamas. And more importantly, Dan, it has immediate access to all my elk finding features that I have labeled and identified. And 
The camp is set up in a location that allows me to access those features morning and night with the predicted thermals and wind directions. So, but that's hard to do. It's hard to wrap your mind around all that while you're on the hunt, hiking in, sweating your ass off, trying to figure out where you're going to camp. Those things are hard to keep in your mind, but they're very easy to do when you're sitting in front of your laptop, you know, having a cold one um, while you're really scrutinizing an area, you can really pick some nice camp spots that way. And uh, so anyway, that's a tip. I always establish all my camps in my hunt plans for all my hunt areas. I love that. And you know, I wanted to say a couple things about moving around and like an actual moving a hunt plan requires you to relocate. There are instances where I will relocate every day and I don't actually like backpack style elk hunting for, for mainly because of mobility. Fitness is there. I get that. People think that I'm some sort of hardcore bivy hunter 10 day, but man, I'll be honest. You're going to hear it from me first. If I can ride a four-wheeler, drive my Tacoma, hop on my dirt bike, or ride my dad's horse to relocate or to get, cover ground between elk, I it's all about time economy. It's all about efficiency and conservation of the, the currency of elk hunting, which is energy. And I want to save my energy for when elk are vocal or when I have them in my ear sight, eyesight, and I'm moving in and I need to dog the herd, that's when the fitness goes up. But wasting the commodity energy and, oh, I'm going to bebop over eight miles to the next basin on foot, dude, you're, you're wasting elk hunting time. If, if elk season was three months long and I could do it twice a year, maybe I would change that approach. But I want to just hammer home. Mobility to me means aid of truck, four-wheeler, dirt bike, horse, not being married to the same spot, and knowing when to flex. And that's what that's what mobility means to me when you're talking about your hunt plans. So let's move into like you've discovered your access points, you have your hunt plan. How do you break down day by day? Like what features are you looking and putting in your notes? Okay. The last thing I want to add to these camps, and Dan, this is something that I think people really don't do enough of. Okay. And I, I don't know that you do it, but I estimate I take a look at I I create a route to every camp from the trailhead physically on the map. And the reason I do it is I want to look at the profile and this is where Onyx uh, drops the ball. I love Onyx for almost everything. I wish they had elevation profile and all this stuff on their roots. That's why I use Onyx and that's why I use Gaia both when I'm in the field because both of them shine at certain things. Um, but I look at the profile I look at the distance and I make a calculation. How many hours is it going to take me to get to camp? One, two, and three. And I write it in my hunt plan. I can't tell you how many times that's paid money. I know when I get to that trailhead at this time of night, I've got this time before I'm going to get to camp. You know, because you know, Dan, five miles is not five miles all the time. No. And so I think by doing those estimates, and again, they're only estimates, when you start moving around from camp one to camp two to camp three, and you got that note in your plan, you're like, bam. Buddy, Dan, if we leave by two, we're going to be there in time to hunt the evening because I've got an estimated time of 3.5 hours, you know, already written down, already calculated. And it just, it, you hit, you struck a chord with me when you said efficiency. If you get anything out of this hunt plan talking, if you get anything out of my course, 
It, I'm 54 years old, folks. My days, I, and I try to stay pretty fit. I mean, I'm a 10-time Ironman, I'm not anymore. But, dude, efficiency is one of my top objectives. I want to get myself to places that have elk as efficient as possible and as quickly as possible. So that kind of wraps up the basics. Now, you asked me about how I plan the days. Here's how I do it. On day one in my hunt plan, I write out some notes. I write what I call the objective. I write down my daily focus goals and my objectives. What am I trying to do? What am I trying to accomplish in this area day one? It could be short. It can be sweet. It can be long. It can be detailed. I think the more inexperienced you are, the more you should do here. Just kind of write down your objective. Now, when I say objective, I don't mean kill elk. <laughs> that is always the objective. I mean, hey, I'm going to in the morning, I want to hit this, this ridge. I'm going to check out these features. And then I'm going to hit this and I'm going to hit this and I'm going to keep all this wind and the thermals in mind as I'm doing my e-scouting and I'm planning my daily, I want to say this again, I'm working out my daily hunt routes based on these objectives, okay, kind of what I want to do each day, okay, then I go further, then in the morning, I have a hit list, I do a hit list for morning, midday, and evening, I try to think through it. I try to think like I'm in the field when I'm doing my e-scouting. I'm just not, guys, I am not just dropping random points and waypoints all over the screen. Um, I'm trying to mark these features at the same time. Um, when I'm done marking these features, then I'm organizing them, I guess I should say, into, into a hunt strategy. What am I going to hit in the morning? What's my hit list? What's my key points of interest, my key waypoints, my key glassing spots? That's, I'll talk about that in a second. I've got my morning situation kind of planned. Then midday, this is where I think a lot of hunters, they miss out on killing a lot of elk in the middle of the day. You hear you hear people talk about this all the time, but how many people really have a plan for the midday? They're just like, well, I'm going to be out there. Well, what are you going to do? Are you going to, I mean, where are you going to be? I mean, so I like to do a hit list. Again, I like to have a couple features and a couple points of interest where I'm going to, if it's a saddle, maybe if I'm going to, if I'm going to set, if it's hot and I'm going to hang out in the middle of the day, I'm going to find a place to hang out that puts me in the game, yes. like a saddle or a funnel or a wallow. I'm not a big wallow hunter. I'll just be honest with you. I, I just don't think the, the odds are all that great in certain areas, but I'll certainly set on one if I'm, if it's a hundred degrees and I've got nothing else going on in the middle of the day. Um, and then I've got my evening hunt planned out. Where am I going to be at prime time? Meaning that last hour of daylight, I like to know where I'm going to be. And then I like the strategy. How am I going to get back to my camp after dark? Cause guys, if you're at your camp before dark, you've just decreased your odds of killing elk. If you're at your camp every night cooking dinner before the sun goes down, you have just decreased your odds of killing elk. And I know that's tough. I know you got to learn how to navigate. I know guys don't like grizzlies. I know guys don't like to navigate in the dark. But if you can stay in these prime points of interest until last light, even if you don't kill an elk, 
you're gonna you've got a good chance of hearing elk you've got a good chance of seeing elk you've got a good chance of knowing what they're doing but if you're already on your way back to camp an hour before dark you're missing out on those prime i call them prime time um zones morning and evening both so to return and then i know you'll probably have some questions go back to morning um glassing spots are key for me if you've got an area that that gives you the opportunity to glass Guys, I've made this mistake so many times. Do not mark a glassing spot from your camp and not have a projection or an estimated on how much time it's going to get you to get there. I can't tell you how many glassing spots. You've got seven days to hunt, guys. Seven, ten, that's it. If you're an hour late getting to a glassing spot because you miscalculate how long it's going to take you to be there, you miss probably most of the elk. That's a fact. And so I will plan my path to the glassing spot exact, and I'll calculate, like I said before, just like camp. In my hunt plan, I'll have my notes. It looks like it's going to be about two and a half hours to get to that spot. So that tells me what time I need to set my damn alarm for. And But every so many hunters I know, Dan, when they're out, they'll get up at the same time every morning, no matter where they got to go. <laughs> and it cracks me up, and it just kind of becomes ingrained in their whole, in their strategy. I'm just trying to get people to think a little differently. You know, on day one, I've got, and again, if, you're go, if you've got glassing spots that are more difficult, hit those first when you're fresh. You talked about the energy savings. Hit those difficult ones first while you can and then save your easy ones maybe for, and that maybe that's a backwards strategy. Maybe you want to take the easy ones first. However, the point is have a method in your head and have your glassing spots identified Guys, I have a whole module in my course on glassing spots, an entire module dedicated to it. Because I think, again, you cannot identify glassing spots in the field. You can look at topography and you can kind of get an idea of where you might be able to get a glassing spot. And you can do it on the fly. But, dude, there is nothing better than Google Earth using the tilt and the zoom and the rotation features to really analyze a glassing spot. If you do that in Google Earth ahead of time, you're going to be miles ahead. And uh, and then estimating your time to those glassing spots. So, And I do that for each day. One Now, so in I know you've probably got some questions, but for an example, on a seven-day hunt, I will only do five days of hunt planning. And I know a lot of people are going to say, well, why, why would you do that? You've got seven days, plan seven, and here's why. Most of the time during a five-day or during a seven-day hunt, if you work through this list, you're going, to, you're going to identify things that you didn't plan for. You're going to want to revisit some of these places. You're going to want to spend time. So you can plan out seven if you want, but I like to leave two as flex so that you've got plenty of options with five guys for a seven-day hunt. And you're going to want to revisit almost or expand or, and it gives you room to ad lib. So again, that's a preference thing. If you want to do seven, um, do seven. And then the last thing in my hunt plan, and you'll see this in the outline is key hunt area notes. I always have a room at the bottom for just notes, descriptions, things about this hunt area that bother me, things that I like, things that concern me access point issues if i'm worried about I, I really need to double check this or double check that i'll put those in the kind of the key notes areas at the bottom of the outline so again that's i don't know if that makes sense dan but that's kind of the way i do it well i think you got people thinking 
And that's what I wanted to do with this podcast today is to get people thinking about maybe a different approach, possibly putting in more work than ever before and seeing if it pays off for them, which we both know it will. Um, well, before we wrap this up, uh, I want to go over a little bit of uh, the e-scouting masterclass, just kind of the basic modules so people can get an idea of what that looks like and where they can learn more. And we'll call it a podcast. But I, from from what I understand, you gave me access, so I'll be starting soon. Um, I, from what you've told me, obviously you go over the expectations and the the limitations and parameters. I love that. And then you talk about going into this is what you've done for me personally is how to really use Google Earth Pro Next Level Onyx Gaia GPS and mastering those. I wanted to ask because I do I have a partnership with Basemap. Have you messed with Basemap at all? Uh, you know, I I'm sorry I didn't even say that. So when I was at the Hunt Expo this year in Utah, I went to the booth and I said, you know, guys, I haven't really used Basemap yet. I've really been focused on two applications and I'm developing this course and I don't feel like I can do this course justice if I don't include some information about Basemap. Because I think it's one of the top three. If you're going to get into three hunt applications and you're going to use um, and you're going to use hunt applications, which I highly suggest if you're not, then I think you should pick one of those three. Now, I will tell you, I spend a lot of time in this course going over Gaia GPS and Onyx Hunt. I mentioned Basecamp quite a some in this course. I actually have an entire in the tools of the trade, Dan, I have this hunt application feature comparison. It's the most exhaustive feature comparison ever done. I went into all three hunt applications and I tested every feature to the ends of the earth. I tried to break every single one and I broke <laughs> a, And I broke a couple, I hate to admit. And I uncover those broken tips in this module. But I have a three-page hunt comparison between the three platforms. I will tell you, Basecamp has some shining things. There's no doubt. But I'm not versed enough yet, so I haven't added that. So let me back up. I have a master series for all of the – I have a mastering Google Earth Pro. I have a mastering Gaia GPS. I have a mastering Onyx Hunt under the tools of the trade module. And I'm getting ready to add mastering base map. And, um, but I'm learning base map myself. So I'm finding out that I'm getting excited about it. The more I use it, I'll be honest with you. Um, but I want, before I, I want to make sure that I've used it, that I explore it, but it's coming. So with the membership in my course, you get two years instead of one, I decided that I wanted to give everybody two hunting seasons worth. Um, so all the memberships are two years. So I will be adding a mastering base map uh, coming up for sure. That's exciting. And then obviously in your course, you, you break down besides access and all that stuff and camping, how to find elk, how to actually figure out where elk are going to be on these maps. Like, where are the burns, the logging, the beetle kill, everything to saddles, funnels, and corridors, sources, water sources, wallows. You have it all here. 
so they can actually digest and then apply. So where do people go? What's the website name? How much are you charging for your two-year membership, et cetera, et cetera? You know, before we get started, let's just real quickly, guys, I've tried, here's what I want to stress. I've tried to organize this course in a way that it kind of flows, you know, but, but you know that that's not perfect. You know, learning how to use the tools of the trade sometimes needs to come before you do this and before you do that. So there's no perfect way to organize it, but I did my best. You can jump around in the course. When you take the course, you have the freedom to go to wherever you want, but I do recommend that you try to stick. I think it builds on itself. I tried to do it that way, but I've got the welcome to the course. I've got the realities of e-scouting that we talked about, understanding limitations, setting hunt parameters, developing your master or strategic hunt plan. I've got an entire tools of the trade module that includes all those mastering ones that I told you, but also includes exporting, importing, and data management. My wife proofread that one and she said, Mark, that is way too deep. Um, <laughs> she was not happy about um, watching that video. I have state method research and application. I don't spend a lot of time there because this is mainly e-scouting, but I do, I do want to point you in the right direction. So it's got a lot of links and a lot of resources, a lot of, um, you know, elk strategy plans for the different states. It's got all the links to the various hunt planners, all the stuff you're ever going to need to plan your hunts in there. Basic needs of elk, identifying core hunt areas, establishing zones of pressure. And then Dan, what you talked about, the elk finding concepts, evaluating access points and trail and road uses. We talked about meadows and feeding zones, canyons, creeks, and drainages, fire zones and logging areas module, sparse timber and beetle kill zones, benches and slope. I spent a lot of time on slope evaluation. I think it's really a critical part of e-scouting. So benches and slope evaluation is a module. Travel, corridors, saddles and funnels, waters and wallows. And then, like I said earlier, glassing spot identification, um, how to use your markup data, meaning campsite evaluation and planning hunt and travel routes late season tactics for some of the rifle hunters. And then I've got a whole module that, that list has all the links and tools to all the resources that I use so that you have that at, at, in one spot. If you're trying to look for something that I mentioned in the course, I'm going to try to organize that all into one spot. And then one of the things that I hope you'll be the last thing, Dan, one of the things I hope you're going to be part of is I am going to have as part of the membership monthly webinars and it's going to be question and answer all the questions I'm starting to get through the course. Um, your listeners and your viewers calling in or sending in questions that you and I can answer on a webinar. And I'm going to feature a couple of guests like you and Ryan Lampers. It's not just going to be Mark Livesey telling you how to East scout. I mean, I want to involve some of these guys that really know what they're doing and, and some really some next level guys and, and kind of pick their brain on how they do it and let the members kind of benefit from some of that. So anyway, that wraps up pretty much the modules. Now, some of these later modules, I've got eight more to go. So starting about canyons, creeks, and drainages on, those are in the works and being recorded right now. So this COVID thing, I don't even want to get started, but it did delay me. I unfortunately have to admit my other business is really impacted with it. So I wanted to launch on May 1st, and I did, but I'm about six to eight modules short. So I'm going to be adding those. So as a, as a response to that, I decided not to take the price up 
to the normal fee. I decided to keep the launch discount going until the end of May because I'm still adding these modules. So the normal price is $119, but it's, it's $79 right now, and you use the code uh, LAUNCH, uh, and that's all on the website. It's not hidden or anything. It's right on the main website. It'll give you the code, but it's treelineacademy.net. I've got a I've got a nice um, introductory video that kind of tells you all about the course. There's quite a bit of information on the main web page, on the web main web <laughs> main web page. Sorry, that you can kind of read a little about the course, see the contents, and you can kind of get familiar with it before you sign up. You can even sign up for the first um, three modules you get for free if you want to check out um, those, the welcome ones. And so that's kind of the basics. I can tell you from what I've just seen, log it in now, you're not going to get through all those modules by the time you get the eight done. There's too much to know. There's too much to learn. And you're not going to master Google Earth by watching a, a, a video and reading a PDF. Like you're going to have to actually go in and apply it. And uh, oh my gosh, man. I recommend that, Dan. I highly recommend that. I don't want people to. Now you can always come back and take, go back over sections, but. I really want people to, as they get to the Google Earth section, like we said, go download some KML files that we talked about. Set up your Google Earth as you're going through the course. Um, get your topographic layers installed. Get your um, get your fire zones. Get your toprut.com KML files. Get those downloaded for your units. And do it while you're in the module before you go on. And you'll just, that way, it will help ingrain that knowledge. You know, You know what they always say is, doing is the best teaching. So just watching the course and reading the course is one thing, but working through it as you go is another strategy that I hope a lot of guys will try. Yeah. You changed my life with Top Rut. You definitely introduced me to Top Rut. And if you guys don't know what that is, take the course, learn it, install it. Your Google Earth will never be the same. Uh, Mark, thanks for taking the time. Um, I know you're super busy. I wanted to get you on because I Quite honestly, brother, uh, I genuinely like your style and what you're all about, and I'm so excited for you to have this available, and I wanted to give you an opportunity to share, showcase it uh, and, and hear about your hunt plans this year. I know you're going to be getting after it. Uh, where can people follow you on social? Um, my, main, my main account is Treeline Pursuits, so it's Treeline underscore Pursuits on Instagram, Facebook, and then tree, if you want to access the, the course, and I've got a lot of articles and my YouTube, you can go to treelinepursuits.com, and that'll give you access to kind of everything, and then the course, it's located at treelineacademy.net. Roger that. Guys, if you didn't know, now you know. Separations in the preparation Thank you, Mark, for coming on, and we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks, Dan. I love talking to Scott with you. Yeah, likewise, brother. Awesome, guys. Hope you enjoyed that show. Uh, Mark's a great guy. He has discount code ELKSHAPE, and that'll save you a few bucks on your already discounted price and it's a two-year subscription to his treeline academy i'm doing it right now i'm on like the fifth or sixth module super impressed he put a lot of energy into this this was really well thought out i can't wait to elevate my e-scouting game i already thought i was getting better but i got a long ways to go and i do think separation is in the preparation and i think the mountains are chock full of snow right now so i can't really get boots on the ground in some of the places i'm going hunting so 
I'm going to be doing e-scouting. I'm going to do anything I can, anything that's in my control. I'm going to be working hard and trying to create myself a scenario where I have a plan that's dialed and that I'm going to maximize my finite time of September and not squander a second and hunt my absolute best. So I hope you guys get a chance to check that out. I hope you have a great week. Keep working hard towards your goals, and we'll catch you on the next one.